Welcome to IdeaGen TV. Today, I am thrilled to have with us Ilana Ron-Levy, Managing Director for Public Sector at Gallup. Ilana, welcome. Thank you so much, George. Really happy to be here. It's so great to have you here because we at IdeaGen are such big fans of Gallup and all of the work you're doing. We've worked with you all for so many years now, and it's just an honor and a privilege always to hear you've got data points, you've got insights, You've got information from a 360 perspective that, that so many folks just uh, can't imagine. I mean, it's amazing to see. And you've been the trusted source of that data and information for so many years. Um, and so the world appreciates that, literally and figuratively. And so Gallup's measuring public opinion in conflict-filled countries. Start with that. Yes. Ukraine, well, right? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Um, well, first of all, we value our partnership so much with IdeaGen. And so thank you again for the opportunity. Um, since 2005, Gallup has been conducting the world's largest global survey on really the most important issues related to human development. And let me tell you a little bit about those origins, because I think it's really interesting. Um, during the time of the Iraq war in the early 2000s and the invasion of Afghanistan, um, Donald Rumsfeld, as you probably know, was being criticized by some sources about, well, is this really what the Afghan people want? And he said, well, it's not as if we can do a Gallup poll in the hills of Afghanistan and understand what the people really want. And we heard that and we took that as a challenge and we took that as an opportunity. And we doubled down on our mission to really understand what the will of the people really is and try to disseminate that to leaders so that leaders can make uh, better decisions reflecting public opinion. So in 2005, we launched the World Poll, which is an annual survey of nationally representative probably probability-based samples in 140 countries including Afghanistan, Ukraine, Ethiopia, you know, countries over the last 16 mm -hmm. years who have really struggled with conflict. Um, and it's been a profound opportunity and a profound challenge. We have a standard methodology that we use in every country and a core set of questions that we look to repeat each year, things about life evaluation that I know we'll get into well-being, trust in government, um, confidence in the security of a society, and then some rotating questions. But when we're looking at a conflict zone, you know, we really have some immense logistical challenges, starting with the approvals to collect data. We've been kicked out of countries before. We don't want to be kicked out because we want to be able to provide these insights. Um, of those 140 countries, approximately 100 of those countries, we still collect data face-to-face. -face, and we're because this is probability-based and representative, we're doing it in every corner of these countries, not just going to sort of the easier areas to access because we really want a representative sample. So we have concerns about keeping our interviewers safe. We have issues related to um, passing roads where there might be uh, roadblocks and checkpoints. We've had natural disasters to contend with. So really immense logistics that go into this with the goal of protecting our interviewers and protecting, of course, the households that we interview. We take that really, really seriously. 
you know, that's so profound to think about the world poll having come out of, you know, almost like developed from a from a statement that turned into a challenge. Yes. And that's leadership right there. You were able to, with your leadership and all the folks on the team at Gallup, to take, you know, a, just a statement yeah. um, that was made to, in, and turn it into such a profound level setting mm-hmm. world poll. Yeah. And um, how is that going? I mean, is it? I mean, we're so we're so proud of it, and um, we think it's you know one of our our greatest gifts to humanity. We know that academics use it. We know that political leaders. We have partner organizations that um, create custom modules through our world poll on some of the most important topics: human slavery, mm-hmm. financial inclusion, global risk. You name it. Um, some of our world poll data actually generates the data inputs into three sustainable development goals oh, wow. for the United Nations, which we're very proud of and working to see that uh, that number grow as well. So, sure. yeah, we're, we're immensely proud. And now to be in year 16 and, you know, when we look at some of these insights to actually now be able to see this quite lengthy trend line sure. and the change. And yes. there can be profound change when you look at a country like Ukraine and Afghanistan, you know, in the midst of just tremendous turmoil, you can see profound change in a year or two. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and it's in, it must be just um, inspiring and also uh, disturbing on some levels yes. and all of the above. So it's a mixture of certainly of emotions. And I'd like to ask you a little bit about examples. Yes. So like public support of Ukraine uh, during this time. Yeah. Great question. And this is something that we're continually continually measuring in the United States. We have our world poll. And then, you know, since 1936, we've been measuring what Americans think right. about all kinds of topics and foreign policy, as you can imagine, is a big topic. So what we see right now is about 66% of Americans do support continued military support for Ukraine. Ukraine's goal of remaining territorially independent. That's a that's a high um, level for the American population of support for military assistance and equipment and continued financial assistance. Not surprisingly, there's partisan elements. Um, when you look at just Republicans, um, over half of Republicans do feel that the level of assistance that we're providing right now is too high. But overall, 66% of the American population does support continued assistance to Ukraine and really doesn't set a timeline. It says we want that support until the end, until Ukraine is able to establish independence. Incredible. And it's incredible to have those insights because then you're helping. We're here in Washington. We're helping to inform and affect decision making with that types of uh, insight and data. And that's right. our goal. And it's it's a complex, you know, question mm-hmm. about should leaders lead solely um, through mm-hmm. the lens of public opinion. And our view is public opinion is a critical input, but sometimes political leaders have to take stands on unpopular so issues because it's morally right or it's in our national interest but it may not be popular. So we really like to look at both elements. Um, we're not saying that the only input that matters right. is what public opinion sure. says, 
But at the same time, so many decisions are made and mm -hmm. ignore, you know, popular and public sentiment. You have to take that into account yeah. is what you're saying. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the position uh, that Gallup has. And so how about the Ukrainians themselves? Yeah. Uh, you're able to then conduct these polls and every country, right? Exactly. What, how do they view this? Yeah, great question. So we um, conducted the World Poll for Ukraine in September 2022. Our global surveys for the World Poll are annual. So it's quite fresh data. Um, we had a lot of the logistical challenges, as you can sure. imagine. We had to switch from a face-to-face -face interviewing framework to over the phone because Ukrainian mobile operators were still able to operate even you know as bombs were raining down and and so much uh, violence as you can imagine so we've really seen something remarkable 84 percent of ukrainians approve of president zelensky's leadership in 2021 only 41 percent approved of his leadership so you just see that ability in times of crisis um, many countries, even partisan and divided countries, emerge much more united, much more determined. We've clearly seen that in mm -hmm. the United States as well, sure. you know, under September 11th and, and many other times in our history. And then approval of national institutions in Ukraine is also at record high, where 94% of Ukrainians have confidence in their military, which is which is oh, quite remarkable. Incredible. So even though Ukrainians, of course, are saying, you know, the economy is getting worse, job prospects are getting worse, in most countries that can be associated with a reduction of approval in leadership. What we're seeing in Ukraine, though, is even with the, the economic issues and obviously life getting much, much harder, just remarkable unity and rallying around both the presidency and the military. That's incredible. Yeah, pretty those, remarkable. Those are, and it's incredible that Gallup is helping to lead these insights, yeah. developing these insights for, you know, use in any aspect so that the, uh, you know, the folks around the world can better understand what the Ukrainian people are thinking. Yeah, we, I mean, it's a, it's a critical lens, right? Um, so often people speak on behalf of other countries, right. but to really understand what citizens and residents of those countries themselves feel and how quickly public opinion and approval of leadership can change, it's, it's really important. It's just, it's just it's striking uh, how impactful that is. And what about Afghanistan? I know you mentioned Afghanistan. Um, what is life like right now yeah. for the Afghan people? Well, yes, uh, we're, we're very proud of our polling history in Afghanistan. Um, Gallup has been the only organization able to collect nationally representative data under the Taliban both rounds. Mm -hmm. So we, we have a pretty unique lens. Um, we are seeing dismal, dismal um, views from the Afghan people, and it's, it's not uh, as surprising. So 62% of Afghans are dissatisfied with their freedoms. This is men and women. So, you know, there's been just curtailing of all kinds of freedom of expression, freedom of mobility, mm. autonomy in your lives. 90% um, of Afghans say that it's difficult or very difficult to get by on their household income. Um, and 86% say they can't afford, in the last 12 months, they've had difficulty affording food for their households. That's the um, highest level, except for once in the Central African Republic in the last 16 years, 
about food insecurity in all countries that we've ever surveyed through the World Poll. So what we're really seeing is we know just um, a breakdown in the ability to provide for families, a breakdown in economic opportunity, a breakdown in job prospects. Everyone knows that, but these numbers are just so, so staggering. You know, close to one in nine Afghans having difficulty providing food and over, you know, 90% concerns about just getting by on their household income. And so there's a direct correlation. And when you're looking at this data, I imagine uh, when when global leaders are looking at what's happening in Afghanistan, certainly we have intelligence agencies, et cetera, that can yes. help decipher that. But I'm sure you also with this information help inform and affect their decision making as well. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I think many people wonder, do the Afghan people, you know, embrace the Taliban? Are they supportive of the direction of the country? Do they feel like more opportunities are unlocked for their population? And I think we're seeing a very different picture. Sure. And that's profound. And it, and it really is startling on so many levels when you think about the reach of Gallup. I mean, I think I want to underscore for a moment yeah. the reach that Gallup, and we've known you all, we've worked with you, obviously we understand, but for the, for the millions of people that are watching this interview, the understanding of how far how far and to what depth you're reaching individuals in these countries all across the world, including Afghanistan, like you mentioned, Ukraine. Yeah. Um, that's the story here. The story is, you know, that, that and that's creating stories because then people understand what's happening. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, anyone can collect data in Western Europe, in the United States. And, you know, there's tons of different surveys of different sure. quality of different modes um that's really important too to have these consistent global sure. metrics but i i think it takes um really strong commitment and determination um to be able to consistently provide representative data really in every corner every province within a country like afghanistan and i'm still i'm still <laughs> really in awe of how the world poll came together. Yeah, yeah. 16 years now. 16 years now. Based on Secretary Rumsfeld's statement, they've mm -hmm. all, we can't interview people, of course. And yeah. And we have been doing global surveys before. Sure. Um, we did, you know, a lot of surveying, for instance, in Iraq itself um, during uh, the American operations. But this idea of a consistent right. global metric right. and also really focusing not just on um, the traditional economic measures, mm -hmm. which are so important, but some of the subjective measures around well-being mm -hmm. and life evaluation, which we know are so predictive of the health of the society. Right. We felt like there wasn't a strong, consistent global data source focusing on those topics, which are just so germane to human development. And that was my next question is emotion. Why, why, why is Gallup measuring the emotional health mm -hmm. of countries around the world. Yeah, I mean, we think it's it's crucial for leaders to understand. So there's been quite a few instances in modern history when you look at just GDP, maybe in the UK around the time of Brexit, maybe mm -hmm. in Egypt during the era of the Arab Spring, mm -hmm. where traditional economic measures seem to suggest that society is improving, people are largely happy with the direction of the country, and then something happens, 
a political shock and commentators say how surprised they are. You know, no one could have predicted this. Mm -hmm. One of the things though that we've seen in our surveying is the metric of life evaluation is a highly, highly predictive metric of the stability and the health of a society and one that we think leaders really need to pay attention to. Um, one of the ways that we measure this is through something called the Cantrell Scale. And it asks people to imagine their life today as a rung on a ladder with 10 steps from zero to 10. And where do you place your life today on that ladder? And then we ask, where do you see your life in five years? And that metric of do you place your life on a higher rung than it is today <clears throat> is a very powerful metric of hope for the future and optimism. And we know that countries and societies with optimism and with hope for the future, even if today's living conditions are low, really have some differences than those that believe that their life will be worse five years from now. So it's pretty powerful. And then based on these responses, um, we categorize, categorize people um, into different dimensions of well-being. At the top is thriving with the higher scores, and at the bottom is suffering with the lowest scores. Um, something that's really interesting about Afghanistan, very, very sad, 98% of Afghans in 2022 are categorized in the suffering um, element of life evaluation. And even more sad is that there's less hope for the future that things will be better in five years. And, you know, that that's a really, that's not what you want to see. Um, you see that quite a few people rate their lives in Afghanistan today at one 0.3 under four, which is really, really low, but rated even worse at just one for five years later. So it's another sign that people are not happy with the direction of the country and they have close to no hope that things will be any better in five years. That's just um, very sad. Yeah, very sad. Very sad and, um, and you know, hopeful. Because, that because Gallup is measuring um, this sentiment that that folks that that are paying attention to these issues will um, will help to um, shine a light yeah. shine a light on that because um, you know when you see human despair and, and lack of um, you know lack of hope right. um, it, it's all you have is hope uh, oftentimes exactly. and exactly. Um, and so thank you to you and Gallup for highlighting that because that's um, I think it, it places like the UN and here in Washington and in the White House and on Capitol Hill hearing this from Gallup uh, when they're making these decisions on, on, on how to how to deal with these countries mm -hmm. uh, that will come into play. Yeah, we, uh, and that's our that's our hope. Yes, ours right. too. And so um, staying on Afghanistan for a moment, because it seems like um, we've done so much there. Um, I'd like to focus on um, Afghan women. Mm -hmm. And um, what is it looking like for them? Well, there's been you know a ton of 
media coverage, I think, justifiable about a kind of a whole wave of reforms of increasing intensity of um, shutting women out of public lives from, you know, mm -hmm. being able to be outside to jobs to education. We know about that. But I think what we people don't realize quite as much is that only 12% of women in Afghanistan say in 2022 that they are treated with respect. And there's been a 22 percentage point drop since the Taliban took over. So often the Taliban justifies its reforms by saying this is necessary to protect women. This is necessary to make them safer in society. But only 12% of women in Afghanistan today feel that they're treated with respect. I think a lot of the media coverage and rhetoric has you know, pointed to this divide between urban, educated women and rural women. But what we're really seeing is unification, that these reforms are harming their lives and curtailing the respect um, that they're being given, which is, I think, very, very sad. We're also seeing a growing number of men in Afghanistan also believe that women are not treated with respect. Pre-Taliban, you saw quite a distinction between men and women where men were more, uh, much more likely to believe that women were treated with respect than women. And now you're seeing, although I think more intensified for women, but both men and women believing that women are not treated with respect. And so Alana, as you're looking at events relating to um, understanding uh, current events of foreign policy within the lens of public opinion. Yeah. How do you see that shaping the entirety of the decision-making process? You know, it's, um, it's such an interesting question because public opinion is not always rational. And I wanna give uh, an interesting example from our archives. Um, we're, we're proud, uh, we have a partnership with the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And right now, if you go to one of the new permanent exhibits about Americans and the Holocaust mm -hmm. and Ken Burns' documentary, oh, which sure. has been uh, very popular on PBS, kind of shows this data points as well. Gallup um, polled during the entire time of um, the World War II and looked at how Americans felt about the restrictions and obviously the persecution that Hitler was placing on the Jewish population of Germany. We started polling on that topic in 1938, right when the Nuremberg laws were enacted. And one of the things that you saw was that Americans were highly, highly united in belief that what was happening to the Jews of Germany was incorrect. It was morally wrong. It was repugnant it should end. But then when we polled about were Americans supportive of allowing Jewish refugees into the United States, Americans by and large were united against that. And that's one of the very many kind of flagship, I think, examples of when public opinion related to foreign policy can be contradictory in nature. That just because Americans, for example, have empathy for a certain group or feel like what a leader is doing to their own population is incorrect, it doesn't always translate into tangible support for American domestic or foreign policy, either around involvement, you know, enhanced military intervention, 
allowing for refugees, allowing for enhanced immigration, those two things, you would think that there'd be this sort of linear line and that there's not a linear line. I do think though, in terms of foreign policy, when you know that, when you know the history, then you can look at a statistic like the fact that 66% of Americans do support continued assistance to the Ukrainians without a timeline until the Ukrainians succeed in defending their country to know, well, that's actually quite remarkable because yeah. that's not always the case. Right, right, right. And so how do you how do you then connect the two? How do you then say, well, as you said earlier, some leaders will take this data and say they'll be emboldened by it. Right. Others will say, well, uh, that's the data and that's the public sentiment, mm -hmm. but that's not the right yeah. answer. It's a great question and it's a tough one. And it, in my opinion, I think the acknowledgement of public opinion is crucial. Mm -hmm. There are mm -hmm. leaders who ignore it and there are leaders like FDR, Churchill, some of the you know, statesmen um, of history who at least say, I know this decision is not popular, but I'm here to provide the leadership and moral courage to explain why it's just mm -hmm. and it's in our national interest. And I'm gonna keep a close eye to see if popular sentiment changes. And I think for those best leaders who make the right decisions and can articulate why that's the case, it often does change. And that's pretty powerful. Alana Ron Levy, Managing yeah. Director, Public Sector at Gallup. You know, I, I for our global audience, for those of you that um, know Gallup, I, I hope today's interview uh, provided deeper insights into the just profound impact and breadth and depth of what you're doing at Gallup uh, highlights and how it can uh, affect uh, just about anything. Yeah. Thank you so very Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank Honor. You. Thank you. Our privilege. Thank you.